Welcome to the Word on Worldviews podcast, a podcast where two friends discuss various worldviews and philosophies, both present and throughout the ages, from a biblical perspective. I'm Rene Fouchier, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Kurt Norman. Kurt, how's your week been? My week's been pretty good, thank you. We've uh, been doing gospel tract drops and the usual things, cleaning this house and uh, cooking food. That's been pretty good. I, I've got a, a decent amount of work in as well. How's your week been? Oh, week's been great, great. And considering that we just had a public, we just had a public holiday as well, it's been kind of relaxing. And the weekend that has passed, we've been away to visit family. So, ah, all's good, and I'm happy to be back recording another episode. Lovely. Now, uh, would you give us a recap about last week's episode, where we, shall I say, deviated a little from our normal format? Sure, of course. Well, our last episode was titled Basic Cringonomics. Now, what is basic cringonomics? Okay, basic cringonomics combines biblical illiteracy with the effects that come from it. So the cringonomics of bad theology, in part, is getting hyped up by superstition and conspiracy theories. Like if you watch Spider-Man, it somehow gives the devil access into your home uh, to harm you. And particle accelerators have opened a portal to a mirror universe, causing things in ours to change. Like the Bible, for example. So you don't really have the Bible because the words are, are from the other universe are coming in and, and changing it. So the thing is, Christians should not be believing and sharing such nonsense. You know, the emotional hype, like, I have to let everybody know now. And before you've even researched it properly and seen it for the load of garbage it is, you've shared it to all however many hundred of your Facebook friends and WhatsApp contacts. So, yeah, that's what we were dealing with in episode five. And I'm quite looking forward to today's topic. Uh, will you please give us the introduction? Yes, uh, so today we will discuss some verses out of Scripture that are commonly taken out of context or misapplied. Aha! Uh, yes, uh, it reminds me of episode one, uh, where we talked about verses you commonly find on bookstore merch, like coffee mugs. Oh yes, like Proverbs 30 verse 2, and uh, was it Second Kings 18 verse 27? <laughs> yeah, in a perfect world, eh, Kurt? Yeah, in a perfect world. So, I'm very curious. Are you going to ask me about the title? Yes. Yeah, you came up with this title, and I have to say, it. when I first read it, um, it really, I was bowled over. I didn't really understand. <laughs> the fish on the highway and the thoughts I have for it is very intriguing. And I really need to ask you how you came up with this one. Well, in order to get there, let me ask you a few questions. Okay. So, first of all, where do we find fish? Uh, the water. Yes, in the water. Now, do fish usually swim alone? Uh, no, most of them swim in schools, right? Yes. Okay, so now one is on the highway. What are your thoughts toward it? Uh... It's out of place, it doesn't fit, and it doesn't even sound appetizing. 
Yes, very good. So what the heck are you doing here? This isn't normal. So the fish was removed from its normal context, a body of water and his school of fellow fish friends and family. And now he's dead and rotting out in the sun. Oh, look, a truck just rode over him, and now there's a tire track all over this flattened, squashed fish. Now this title makes sense. Um, <laughs> very vivid description there, I must say. Um, so we are going to examine some verses that are often taken out of context, as I've already said. Um, and I'll, I'll get the ball rolling. Um, and I'm going to use probably the most popular one. So, Kurt, I guess I took the easy one, which is Philippians 4.13. And we actually yeah. mentioned this verse in our first episode as well. That's right. About the common, it's one of those, one of the bookstore merch fodder examples. And if you just read the single verse in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some translations just have through him who strengthens me, referring to Christ. Right. And now, in our format, we can put it in this way. What we think it means versus what it actually means. And with the yeah. what we think it means, this is the typical understanding that you may encounter. One is capable of accomplishing any task or achieving any goal because Christ will give you the strength. Uh, often abused by athletes and your friend in school who forgot to study for his test. <laughs> So, Kurt, just a thought. I'm wondering what happens if two athletes competing against one another both have the verse tattooed or plastered somewhere on their bodies. Oh, that is brilliant. That I would love to see the look on each other's faces when they spy the same uh, verse uh, on the forearm or <laughs> forehead, wherever they put it. Yes, and now to get you what it actually means, Paul... In this context of Philippians, I think we need to always remind ourselves, Paul's writing this from prison. Yes. Uh, this is one of his prison letters, and he's talking about contentment in every circumstance. Uh, and here's more of the text for clarity. Um, from verse 10, I'm going to read from verse 10 until uh, the, uh, verse 13. All right. Uh, which the single verse 13 is always taken out of context. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, if you are going to imitate Paul's attitude here as a sports athlete, you should rather have the mindset of being able to handle a win or a loss, uh, you know, victory or failure, equally well, because Christ will give you the strength to do so. It's not about being strengthened to accomplish something. It's about being strong in every circumstance, being able to deal with every circumstance because Christ gives you that strength. And I think people... Amazing what happens that. when you read it in context. Yes, uh, that, that helps so much. 
Alright, well here's my entry, and this is one that especially bugs me. There are plenty, but this this is one of the big ones. <laughs> okay, Second, let's hear it. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So... What we think it means. Well, here we commit the sin of narcissism. So that is uh, from narcissism and exegesis combined. We basically insert ourselves into the text instead of looking at the context. You know, this verse sounds nice, so it must be about me. You know, if enough Christians gather together in South Africa, let's say a million, and pray, then... South Africa will change. God will forgive us and, and help us. Now, I'm not pulling this one out of thin air. There's a very popular South African preacher that arranges massive gatherings, and I've often heard this verse associated with these gatherings. I think which I think I know which one you're talking about, which of those preachers yeah, you're talking about. Him. <laughs> so, um, Here's what it actually means. And first of all, let me remind you of the first three rules of Bible interpretation. Context, context, and again, context. Who is speaking and who is being spoken to? Is it Israel or the church? Mm -hmm. It's Israel. Now, more specifically, King Solomon, during his reign in Israel, in the, the specific context here we have second chronicles 7 verse 14 occurring in the context of solomon dedicating the temple he had built so god is speaking to solomon and tells him that he will hear the prayers of his people made there but it but if they worship idols then the temple will be cast from his sight and his people will experience calamity for worshiping false gods so this is israel under the old testament not south africa not america the united kingdom or even the solomon Islands, which is a real uh, nation by the way <laughs> so let me be clear drawing and coloring a south african flag around this verse in your bible will not make it about south africa and south africans yeah, that's a very good example. It's something you know, in, uh, many people in our country or say any country who feel, maybe with sincere thoughts, feel nationalistic and we're one nation and thinking this is talking to us as a nation as being God's people, forgetting the context that who the audience is spoken yes. to here. Now, my next entry is one that we also touched on at least partially in a, screen yeah. in a previous screen meter segment from uh, Matthew, Matthew 7, 1. And the, oh, single, yeah, the single verse reads, Judge not that you be not judged, or judge not lest you be judged, or for the variations of those, the various translations read slightly different, but it means the same thing. Now, what we think it means, um, and people often think that pointing out any error is always wrong, and will lead to God's judgment on he or she who judges others. 
often used defensively by people who do things that they are afraid others may find unacceptable or sinful. So sort of a defensive. You know, I've yeah. been, I've even like in a casual conversations I've heard people. Yeah, I may not judge. Yeah, when they do something and it's maybe even something that be maybe slightly innocent or basically innocent, but you know, like taking another piece of cake, you know, judge not, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> um, but what it actually means in the context it is more related to judging properly and fairly. Uh, Jesus goes on to say in the same chapter that you should remove the beam from your own eye before, emphasis mine here, removing the speck from your brother's eye. So it's not, a, a, more accurately, it's not a blanket prohibition on passing judgment ever, but rather right. judging fairly and with the right perspective. Um, yes. Remember, this is the same Jesus who called the Pharisees hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. You and, see. Yeah, so clearly... There's aspects of judgment that needs to be considered. We need. We shouldn't be hypocritical. We shouldn't uh, be unfair when we judge or make judgments. Remember, as we are as human beings, we don't have the right to condemn people to eternal punishment. But we still, we do. We every person judges and does uh, perform judgments in his everyday life, choosing one thing over another, uh, etc. It's about judging with the right perspective, making the right decisions. Obviously, if someone does something that is obviously sinful or wrong, we should be able to say that is sinful or wrong. Yes. And uh, if we don't do that, that will be to the detriment of the person who who sins. If, we, if, if our fellow brother in Christ does something and we are never able to say, um, look, this is not right, and, and offer that corrective uh, help, then you are actually not you're actually being a detriment to that person. I think we need to yeah. keep that in mind. And it spreads out even further. I would say it would it affects the rest of society. Definitely, um, absolutely. Right, well, thanks for sharing that one. Uh, here's another one that is often used, and this really bugs me. Okay, it all bugs me. Here's another one that just really gets on my nerves. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now here's what we think it means. That God wants everything to go well with us, and it is going to go well with us. Well, for what it actually means, once again, the context is Israel under the old covenant, not the church. And I know the reformed people disagree, but uh, we're just taking scripture as it is in its literal sense. And the church is not Israel and the church did not replace Israel either. So conveniently here, the whole chapter is ignored. If we go to verse 1, Jeremiah the prophet is writing to the elders, priests, prophets, and others who were carried away into captivity in Babylon. Well, verses uh, 2 to 3 then details more of the event and that the letter was sent to the captives. Now, if you read up to verse 9, you observe something. Uh, I'm going to go to Jeremiah 
chapter 29 and uh, verse 9. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, the Bible says, I'm sorry, from verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So uh, verse, and if, if you go back a bit um, further here, uh, he says from verse 5, build houses and dwell in them. This is about when they're in Babylon. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And listen to this now. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Right? So... Did you see something? It was God who allowed them to be carried away to Babylon in the first place. Now, I don't know about you, but that couldn't have been a very pleasant experience for God's people, Israel. You know, being conquered as a nation, being uprooted from what you're used to, everything you've tied to, you've been tied to your whole life, uh, and now finding yourself in a foreign nation under a foreign king, you know, unbelievers with these strange gods, you know, idols, really. And the reason why this happened was because the Israelites disobeyed God. So in the law, they were supposed to let their farmland be fallow, not plow and grow on it every seventh year. So every seventh year, it had to sit as is. And they could uh, plow and plant again the year after that. So now they had to be in captivity for every year that they had skipped. <laughs> so in, as we see in verse 10, uh, only after 70 years would God allow them to return to their homeland. So what they were used to, where they'd lived their entire life, now they suddenly get uprooted from there. It didn't sound like it was going exactly very well with them at that time. Wow, this this perspective and context really helps so much to really appreciate this verse more in its context um, to get an idea that it's related to the Babylonian captivity um, yes and uh, this obviously was a judgment uh, from God yes. on the people and uh, to get this whole uh, it's so much better just than the single verse to be used as some type of affirmative encouragement uh, right. you can really appreciate the context Thanks for that one. Very good. Right. Uh, continuing then, I've got one more. This also bugs me. Uh, Mark 10 verse 15, where Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now, here's what we think it means. Here's at least one meaning I've heard, and that is, you know, I don't need to have deep Bible knowledge and understanding of Bible doctrine. You know, a child does not know very much, and these children were brought to Jesus. Therefore, it's fine if I do not take the time to study Scripture and know it well. 
I mean, after all, I must be like a child. You know, knowledgeable people are probably Pharisees and not going to heaven. You Pharisee. So, <laughs> Pharisee. <laughs> so here's what it actually means. If Well, if you read from the beginning uh, and you just realize where you are as well, this is still under the Old Testament. And how do I know that? Because Jesus had not died yet and been raised yet. So Jesus here in the context was teaching a crowd. Now, while teaching, the Pharisees, who would not believe what he said, confronted him and asked him about divorce. Now, you can read the Gospels and just look at these confrontations, these religious hypocrites of their day uh, had with, with Jesus. They would not acknowledge him as the Messiah, the Christ. So, also we must remember that Jesus ministered to Israel and offered them, not the world, he offered Israel the kingdom of God, which is now being postponed. It's yet to come, right? We're living in the church dispensational church age right now. Now, after Jesus answers them on the topic of divorce, Others in the crowd bring children to him. He then uses them as an illustration for teaching the crowd before him. And what do we observe here from uh, this, uh, this illustration? Well, a child innocently believes what they are told, don't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, mom and dad, my teacher, etc. wouldn't lie to me. But here's the thing. Adults do lie. They're sinners too. So a grown man or woman was to believe what Jesus said because it was the truth. The Son of God does not lie. And there is proof after proof in the Gospels confirming that he is who he says he is. Absolutely. Now, just, yes? No, I'm saying I'm agreeing with you. Just I'm saying absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, the out-of-context interpretation of this is extremely cringy to me. And I would also say sinful. It's all sinful, taking it out of context. Why? Because you are wasting the brain God gave you and you are twisting his word out of context. And I would also add to this, if you must be like a child, then, or exactly like a child, then why do you grow physically? So why limit being uh, like a child to just the mental aspect of it? You know, I can assure you as well that most adult Christians do not look physically like and behave like children most of the time. Yes, uh, thanks, Kurt. Uh, I'm reminded in this um, references of all the imperatives and exhortations in the New Testament uh, in the yeah. epistles to, you know, pressing on towards, I'm thinking about Hebrews, etc., about being pressed on towards maturity, that Fantastic maturity example. as a believer, um, Jesus is addressing a specific attitude, I think, about receiving as a child would, uh, in good faith. Yes. Uh, whereas uh, uh, an, an adult may be skepti skeptical or uh, like the, the Pharisees who didn't believe in Jesus. Yes, but um, as believers, we need to grow into maturity. That's the the right outcome for a believer's life to grow as they um, 
as they learn more about God in the scriptures to become practically and not just in, in a theological sense about knowledge but how you live as well as a mature believer that's um, right and we should always keep that in mind all right so as we go on we sadly couldn't include all the references people take out of context because there are a lot of them so I think it's good that we at least have a few honorable mentions. What do you say, Mornay? Ah, I agree. Um, there are so many. All right. Well, I'll go first then. Matthew 18, verse 20. And uh, please have your Bibles with you and go through all these references. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 20. Because remember, Jesus can only be there if there are two or three believers gathered in his name. <laughs> yes. Um that's one I've also heard. The next one I'll mention is Galatians 6 verse 7, um, where some proclaim uh, you can sow material things like money and earn a kind of interest or profit from God because of your generosity. And this is unbiblical. And uh, within reading in the context of this passage, this becomes quite apparent how unbiblical it is, this attitude. Romans 10 verse 9 and 13. Because remember, being born again is a three or four step process that sounds anything, uh, sounds like anything but a gift, but it is still a gift. <laughs> uh, my next one is Malachi 3 verse 8 to 10, which relates to tithing under the old covenant and does not apply to the church. Yet many churches love to quote this to make tithing an obligation for their members. Oh, yeah, heard that one before. Next honorable mention is John 14, verse 13 through 14, praying in Jesus' name. So let me ask you this. Why do you not have that quad bike and why did you become an atheist? <laughs> Last honorable mention is 2 Samuel 6, verse 14. Which says, which uh, the first part says, then David danced before the Lord with all his might. So you can dance in church. And if you criticize the person dancing, then you will be cursed, as we see in verse 23 of the same chapter. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, again quite obviously missing the difference between descriptive and prescriptive there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you dance in church, Mornay? Uh, wow, no, not not often. Uh, if I, oh, so if, I if I step on something uh, sharp, I may dance up and down. <laughs> like a, if I go sit on a tack or if I bump my toe as I take my seat, <laughs> I may just do a few skips. Um, but I will never... Uh, 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 I love my fellow um, church members, so I won't. Uh, I won't do that to their eyesight to see me dance in church. Uh, yeah, you you can't pay to to be to put them all right again after that. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I'll have to bring some bleach along for their eyes or something. <laughs> 
I also remember Baptists don't dance, people. So there's that as well. Yeah. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. He knows I don't mean that it would be that awful. No, that's true, though. That's true that Baptists shouldn't dance. Um, God doesn't yeah, allow yeah, Baptists yeah. to dance because he, he, have you ever seen Baptists dance, as the church comedian would say? <laughs> oh, it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> With that cringy imagery in your mind, we now come to today's cringeometer, and we both had to agree that this week's cringe has to be the Philippians four verse thirteen interpretation out of context. Yeah, that's definitely the winner. Um, Philippians four thirteen is the winner when it comes to cringeworthy misinterpretation. Um, and what do you see? in your mind's eye when someone uses this one out of context oh my goodness uh the rap or the hip-hop music starts and i see a cringy hype video of a guy on the sports field or at the gym quoting this verse he's really into uh, what he's doing into his workout routine his track practice and he's doing so well and then he's falling all over the place but getting back up again you know straining and closing his eyes or her eyes even if it's a woman you know I'm, I'm being inclusive here while they rush toward the finish line they celebrate and they point up in the air you know I believe this so I can achieve this nothing's going to stand in my way I am invincible I claim this promise Nothing will stop me. Okay, okay, I'll stop now. Um, what did you see? Well, well, Greg, you started. To, you started to sound like some one of those guys on TBN or something. Now, I thought, oh, no, that's oh, was... oh no, no, burn the future, burn the everything. Um, okay, I, turn. What did you see? I see much of the same type of thing. Um, maybe not in, with your vivid imagination, but um, I get the idea that it's popular with the sports crowd in the Philippians four thirteen. And I'm pretty sure you'll find an aspiring careerist on LinkedIn who also posts this first when they get promoted and want to share that with the world. Um, and I think LinkedIn itself can become part of our still under undeveloped cringeometer scoring system. And now that I think about it. <laughs> no, I, I've seen people not using LinkedIn for what it's meant to be used for. It just it looks very unprofessional sometimes we're yeah. not knocking linkedin we're just knocking the way people use it uh yes uh, people use it in very uh, funny funny type of self self-aggrandizing is a big part of it i suppose yeah now to introduce the next topic um i'm going to mention a few verses that pertain to our next topic and um I'm not going to say much more than I'm simply going to quote the scriptures. Um, some of them are single verses and some of them, one of them is going to be a little bit longer. But I want our audience to keep an open mind to read the scriptures, to build an understanding. It's going to be an interesting discussion, uh, somewhat controversial among some Christians, at least. Um, but, yeah, you know, yes, uh, but I, I, th I, I think you would agree that we have to have an informed uh, shall I say sober discussion um, oh that's brilliant yes we should drink tea while we discuss it <laughs> Proverbs uh, 
20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. This is from the this is the translation that I just read is from the New King James Version. The other ones I'm going to mention is from the NASB 95. It only have that's the only that's how I collected these quotations. It's no specific reason. Interesting though, um, for some perspective, uh, and because it's interesting, Proverbs 20 verse 1 from the NASB 95 doesn't say whoever is led astray by it, it says, and whoever is intoxicated by it, so explicitly there. I think the New King James Version is more accurate, as far as I know, to the, what the literal word is there. But regardless, that's an interesting one. Yeah. The next one, and I think uh, the wheels are in most people's heads are turning now and understanding where we are going. Proverbs 29, verse 29 to 35 says the following, and it is uh, a longer piece of text, but bear with me. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has red eyes? Those who linger long over mine, wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will say perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or one, or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. Excuse me. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When will I awake? I will seek another drink. And also, to conclude, Ephesians 5 verse 18. And this is a well-known one. And do not get drunk with wine, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's how the verse ends. <laughs> I was just taking another breath to continue reading because I'm so used to this previous longer one. Anyway, um, so clearly the next episode is going to be about alcohol and how it relates to uh, a Christian. How, uh, how, what's the biblical approach to alcohol? <laughs> and so I want us, our audience to tune in next week for an interesting discussion on this one. Mm, to drink or not to drink? That is the question. Oh, just don't drink like a fish uh, on the highway. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> And <laughs> <In> full circle. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining us this time. Uh, so until next time then everyone, leave the fish in the ocean with his friends. Yeah, that's that's a good reminder. Um, thanks Kurt, appreciate it. Um, it was a good discussion, very interesting. Until next time then. Goodbye everyone. Alright, uh, before I sign off, I just want to... Um, mentioned that our opening and closing music track is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod.